Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Continuing to lead the news this morning on this 4th of May are the issues related to the leaking of court documents from the Supreme Court of the United States. So good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, Yesterday, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, um, issued a statement in relationship to the publishing of a copy of a draft opinion in a pending case before the U.S. Supreme Court. That pending case relates to abortion access across the country um, because it threatens to overturn the Roe v. Wade decision um, and the following Casey decision related to access to abortion in the United States and the legality of it. So, um, uh, let me just read to you the very brief statement by the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, Jr. To the extent this betrayal of the confidence of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations, it will not succeed. The work of the court will not be affected in any way. We at the court are blessed to have a workforce, permanent employees and law clerks alike, intensely loyal to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law. Court employees have an exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of the judicial process and upholding the trust of the court. Uh, This was a singular and egregious breach of that trust that is an affront to the court and the community of public servants who work here. I have directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak. So the... um, the Marshal Service of the Supreme Court is now investigating the source of the leak. The leak, and you know, and we will uh, see judge uh, justice uh, done in this case. I feel confident. Um, that's one issue. Uh, the leak itself. I think that the Chief Justice's use of the word uh, "blessing" and "blessed" should not be lost on us. Um, the importance of um, the institution and the dedication to the rule of law are conversations that we could certainly be engaged in today. Um, and I think we need to be praying for the safety of the justices. We need to be praying for the integrity of the court. And yeah, we need to be praying that um, we will come to our senses as Americans and begin to protect life the life of every image bearer from conception to natural death, a restoration of um, of an understanding of human life and when it begins and how it should be guarded um, is a part of the conversation that we as Christians can be having in the culture today in relationship to this. Um, how we handle ourselves and how we speak the truth is also essential. And so let me uh, be quick to say that as well. I do think that uh, what is in evidence before us in the leaked opinion 
is the right decision, but I'm not sure that the way in which it is uh, spoken at every point in what was leaked is uh, as a demonstration of grace and love. And so um, I, I don't expect that the opinion that we saw released is the final one. The chief justice has said as much. Um, and I think that we as Christians need to be mindful of that. Uh, it, does it look like the right decision? Yes. Is it delivered in the wrong way? Yes. The leaking of the document is certainly not the right way for this to be delivered. Um, and is there the right affect communicated in and the language and the turn of phrase and, and the way it's communicated in the opinion. I, I don't think so. I think there are better ways to say it. And I expect that as they are in the editorial process, um, as justices, as judges, justices, they will um, they will refine that language. I'm looking forward to um, this decision being communicated in a way that is more winsome than the one uh, before us right at this moment. I also think it's important for us to note that the president of the United States accidentally, I believe, accidentally spoke the truth of the matter in a um, in a Q&A held uh, before he got onto Air Force One. Um, He was asked a series of questions the entire um, the the entire conversation between the president and the press, I think, is is interesting to consider. But specifically in uh, in in one answer. Um, where he says that he was not prepared to make judgments about whether or not the Senate should do away with the filibuster and codify uh, Roe, which, by the way, they don't have enough votes to do. But anyway, that aside, the president said, I think codification or you know, the making of law of Roe uh, makes a lot of sense. And then he says, look, think what Roe says. Now, first of all, pause there and do that. Think what Roe says. Um, and then what it does not say. It does not say what he's about to tell you that it says. Rose says that all basic mainstream religions have historically concluded, which that is not at all what Rose says. Rose Ro makes no, no conversation whatsoever. about, and, and it's ridiculous to suggest that the decision of the Supreme Court was based on some sort of compilation of basic mainstream religions and what they've historically concluded about the origin and value of life. That, that's just not what it says. That confusion aside, the president went on to say that all mainstream uh, religions have historically concluded, quote, that the existence of a human life and a being is a question. It is the moment of conception or six months or six weeks. It is quickening like Aquinas argued. I mean, so the idea that you're going to make a judgment that's going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child. Ding, 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 ding. In case you weren't paying attention, pay attention now. The president of the United States just acknowledged that abortion abortion is the choosing to abort a child. There it is right out there in the open. I don't think he intended to say it out loud, but there it is. Um, And he thinks it ought to be maintained. All right. So that's what's going on in uh, in the conversations of the day. Uh, This evening, I'd love for you to join me on Faith Radio's Facebook at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to talk about how to practically pray for the concerns of our day. First up this morning, Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. We're going to talk about some other concerns and issues. Um, We're going to lead off with a conversation about Gen Z and, well, what they're thinking about the reality of work. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio.
Hey, welcoming back Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. You can find Jeff online at jeffbilbro.com. This morning we're going to look at uh, some of his offerings at on the Water Dipper at frontportrepublic.com. I can spit it out, frontporchrepublic.com. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Carmen. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's look at this. Um, let's start off. There's so many good things that you've got posted um, right now. Let's talk about Generation Z and what what and how they're thinking about work. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting essay. Um, you know, Americans have a complicated relationship with work, and it kind of comes in ebbs and flows and changes over time. But um, this this essay in Vox talked about how a lot of uh, younger people today are not linking their identities with their their nine to five jobs in the same way that previous generations might have. And, you know, I think as Christians, we can think, oh, there's probably some good things about that. Maybe we shouldn't uh, root our identities in what we do, how we make money. Um, so that's a healthy counter counterpoint, perhaps, to some previous excesses. On the other hand, uh, work is a good thing, we think, and vocation um, can lead us to to live out God's God's giftings to us in redemptive ways that allow us to participate in His work in the world. And so, just kind of uh, giving up on work is not not great either. And finding that right balance is tricky in a shifting economy and, and a shifting culture. Yeah, the numbers are pretty extraordinary. Apparently, uh, in the month of March alone, 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs. Um, And yeah, and so I'm just saying that like people in terms of, uh, I mean, that's 3% of the entire workforce you're talking, you know, and so I I think that it's a a good time to talk about work and labor and its meaning and and its usefulness and purpose. And then, yes, on the other extreme, uh, not allowing uh, ourselves to become human doings, like, right, I am right. not what I do. Um, I am uh, who I am, created in the image of God and redeemed on uh, in Christ uh, on purpose and yeah. for a purpose. Yeah, I think those are good, good balanced thoughts to be having. Hey, Jeff, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, can we talk about speech and the effects of harmful speech? I'm looking at this injured parties piece you have posted on the water dipper at frontporchrepublic.com. We're talking with Jeff Bilbro. We'll be right back. All right, continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. You can find him at jeffbilbro.com. Jeff, let's talk about... um, this piece by Alan Jacobs, who takes this tour through lots of legal cases related to speech. And here's the fundamental question. Do our words build up or diminish charity? That's a good question to be asking ourselves. Yeah, it's a great question. And before I had read this, I did not realize that it was a question that courts in the U.S. addressed themselves to in the fairly recent past. Um, I don't think we often think about public speech in terms of charity, uh, which we should as Christians. But yeah, he, t- he looks, I won't go through the whole legal um, narrative he lays out, although it's quite fascinating, but he quotes one case from the 1930s, a, a libel case, where the court ruled on behalf of a defendant who, who said that she was defamed. And they said that the 
the speech in this case was unnecessary and indelicate and a willful and wanton disregard of that charity which should actuate us in our social intercourse. Yeah, and I think as Christians, you know, in all these conversations about social media and our participation in the public square, charity is pretty important. And maybe uh, that should motivate us and, and shape what we say and how we say it uh, more than it does. I mean, I think you talked about this in your opening today, even when we're talking about issues that we feel the Bible speaks pretty clearly about, we still need to be motivated and uh, speak in love. Yeah, it's uh, it's troublesome to me. It disturbs my heart when I see, you know, Christians or so-called Christians standing toe-to-toe with people who are, you know, like advocating for abortion, and I see those Christians, you know, uh, basically foaming at the mouth. And, I mean, in, in, in just in these physically distressed postures, screaming at people. And I am saying to myself, that is so not Jesus-y. I mean, you may be you may be saying truthful things, but you are saying them in a way that is not Jesus-y. And um, so this, uh, which is a, um, a much more crass way of saying, actuate us in our social discourse. That was a, yeah, um, yeah right? So um, I want people to be as winsome in the way they say something as we are in what we say, because I want to see us win some, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and, yeah. and Christ famously, uh, John says, embodies both grace and truth, and that's a tough, a tough uh, combination to embody. But that is what we're called to as Christians, and uh, that should mark our public posture. Yeah. Um, talking about posture, let's talk about this uh, David McPherson piece on no limits, n o or no limits, k n o w. Um, this brought to mind the. Uh, no Jesus, N-O, um, no, oh, wait, see, no Jesus, no peace. Yeah. And no Jesus, yeah. no peace. Like, right. So, yeah. right. It, that's what this brought to mind. Talk with, talk with us about no limits or no limits. Yeah. Limits are a pretty unpopular thing, I believe, in our culture today. But David has a great uh, book out recently from Oxford. And this is a short distillation of that argument, uh, arguing that that. While we tend to celebrate the stances or the skills that enable us to exceed our limits and to go beyond what we think is possible, maybe we should um, learn to value those virtues or postures that enable us to uh, gracefully work within our limits. And so he he outlines a, a list of several key virtues, things like humility, reverence, moderation, contentment neighborliness, loyalty, and kind of looks at all of these as postures that mark somebody who uh, accepts the, the given life with its attendant limits and, uh, and learns to, to be grateful rather than uh, constantly striving to supersede or overcome limits. And, and, you know, he doesn't do this explicitly theologically, but it's certainly uh, in line with his argument to recall Adam and Eve's fall in the garden as the result of their um, attempt to go beyond the limits that they were uh, within, within which they were created. Yeah, I am. I am finite. And although that may frustrate me, um, I, I actually have more freedom operating within 
the limits that God has established for my good and the good of others. I mean, there's more freedom within those boundaries. It's a little bit like the way children behave um, when they are, you know, given the freedom to play within the confines of a set boundary um, That's right. You know, in a playground um, and they, they play very, very freely all the way to the edge and all the way to the limit. Um, but when they are given no limits, they actually kind of huddle together and they play in a very, very, very small space because they don't actually know, you know, where the safe limit is. And so, you know, God has bounded us because we need it. It's for our good. And um, and we resist that. It's to our peril. I thought it was a really, really good piece. Let's. Um, yeah. I loved this. I loved that you highlighted this um, This piece on public libraries, making it easy to check out of all things seeds. Um, tell us about this. And uh, because I, I just I love this story. This is fantastic. Yeah. And a good timely essay when hopefully we're all, um, you know, making plans for the garden for the spring. I know I'm getting my garden established here. Uh, it's always an exciting time of the year when when hope has not yet met the realities of deer or disease or, or bad weather, <laughs> uh, that seemed to always happen. But um, yeah, I think that during the pandemic, I guess, a lot of public libraries, um, through a bunch of different means, collaboration, sometimes buying seeds, but often working with seeds, sharing groups in their own communities, um, put up tables that are, or spots where patrons could come in and check out a few packets of seeds um, just take those for free and seeds aren't expensive, but sometimes the prospect of something that's free can be that little prod you need to go, uh, to take those and, and dig up some dirt and, and plant a garden. I thought, uh, this was a good demonstration of something that could happen, um, at churches, like, right. There's no reason that churches in, you know, in places where people are walking by, couldn't set up tables in front of their church and um, and do a seed sharing program and talk of it, talk about cultivating the culture and talk about uh, sowing peace. Like, I just think there's an endless number of opportunities here for Christians to um, do something similar. Right? We can talk about uh, enriching the soil. We can talk about. Um, the vine and the branches. We can talk about fruits of righteousness and unrighteousness. I mean, just an endless opportunity here for Christians. And so, you know, let's take what these public libraries are doing um, and let's see if we can't uh, expand this in terms of our community engagement, um, community interaction, community service, and, you know, frankly, teaching some good theology. So as always, Jeff Bilbro, thank you so much. This is a, this is a really good idea. I like it a lot. Yeah, I love the way you take that into the church. I think that's exactly right. So, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, brother, thank you so much. That's Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. You can find him at his website, jeffbilbro.com. You can also find um, The Water Dipper, which is this aggregated list. We've talked about a few of the things on this week's Water Dipper at frontporchrepublic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Okay, yes, yes, that is the theme from Star Wars. Why are we playing it? Because today is May the 4th. Paul Perot is my producer. And um, Paul, 
among yes. the Star Wars people, um, why is May the 4th significant? <sighs> it's just playing off the whole, may the force be with you, may the fourth be with you. There you of go. Of course, as, uh, as any good Catholic or Lutheran would respond, and also with you or something like that. But, no, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that's the origin of the phrase. So in the Star Wars saga... May the Force be with you, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, primary character who uh, issues this greeting, um, is uh, invoking the power of, quote-unquote, the Force to protect an individual or a group of people. And so for many Christians, especially Catholics, um, this phrase sounds very similar to the greeting that is used in the context of the regular liturgy, may the Lord be with you. So um, today, as we are um, encouraging, uh, we're living in the midst of a culture where you're going to hear this a lot. I mean, you know, depending how um, <clears throat> how nerdy your friends are. Um, but may the force be with you is an opportunity for, you know, us as Christians to acknowledge the reality of a dark side, to invite people to the light, to recognize the nature of God as Father. There's just all kinds of opportunities um, to have conversations today about the force um, and the force that we are with and the force that's with us. So there you go. Um, uh, yeah, okay, uh, lots of comments about the gardening um, conversation. Becky uh, uh, serves at uh, at her local um, public library, and she says um, they plant seeds every spring. Children and adults love watching them grow as the weeks go by. Some kids probably have never seen the beginning of a seedling uh, that grows into uh, a flower or, um, you know, a, a food-producing plant. Amen. So, uh, and then somebody says, you said growing peas, sowing peas. Give peas a chance. Uh-huh, great idea. Churches to do a seed share. All right, yes, give peas a chance. That sounds like something Paul Perot would say as well. No, there no, I go. would never do that one. <laughs> yes, you would. You totally would. And there would be like little peas in a pea pod, and it would be on a T-shirt. I no, can no, see no, it. No, 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 I take the peas mm-hmm. and put them in a blender. That way we can have world peas. <gasps> world peas. There you go. That's for you, friend on the text line this morning. Um, you guys can always text me, 877 I I like the silly turn of phrase jokes, so thank you. Um, all right, we're going to turn our attention to what in the world is going on in the world. Ruth Kramer is going to join us from Mission Network News. We're going to catch up on what our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing around the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We go where no one has gone before. Joining us now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. I have no idea what day it is or what time it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll just do this. This is the day the Lord has made, and we are glad you are here with us in it. Uh, How's that? That's pretty much what I woke up with. (laughs) Okay. So, um, Userif, this this agency of... um, religious freedom, this international um, religious freedom effort, they issue a report every year. Um, they have done that this year, but largely, as you, um, as you acknowledge in, uh, in this piece uh, at Mission Network News, the media kind of shrugged. Um, what's going on? Well, I need to back it up just a little bit because there was some uh, discussion in the newsroom. Does the average person know 
um, what the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom is supposed to do. And mm-hmm. what about what you know, what are all these reports that come out about the same time supposed to mean? Um, do they have any teeth and, and that kind of thing? So I just want to back it up a little bit and say that the U.S. CIRF is a bipartisan federal entity. Um, and the Office of International Religious Freedom is a separate entity. It's part of the State Department. Both were created under the International Religious Freedom Act. But one is the U.S. State Department and one is a like a commission report that makes suggestions that will help inform the State Department on its decision. So over the next few days, you're going to hear like the countries of particular concern. They use similar terminology, but they're different reports for different reasons. Um, and one has a lot of teeth and the other one has very strong suggestions. And it, it does inform a lot of other things. What you're going to see with the USCIRF reports um, will be mirrored very closely by ministries that are following uh, persecution. So Open Doors World Watch List and the Voice of the Martyrs Prayer Guides. Those are going to highlight the same countries because you're seeing the similar issues that are affecting religious freedom. And then comes the question, why is religious freedom such a big deal uh, that we would put a State Department you know, entity on something like that and focus two reports um, you know, on these kinds of issues globally? Are we the world's policemen? The idea of religious freedom informs the democracy of a government um, and religious freedom goes into a lot of other things that include the human rights issues uh, and the, the the sanctity of life issues. So religious freedom is foundational to all of that kind of stuff. And whether or not a government is going to allow freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, that's all connected. Um, so that is why we pay particular attention this time of year to the reports that are coming out from the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and for, from the uh, Office of International Religious Freedom. That said, there were a few surprises. Uh, I mean, you know, as, as we see the, the report issued, um, they have made some recommendations that, uh, that we hope the State Department will follow or at least uh, consider seriously. Um, USCIRF recommended that uh, Afghanistan, India, Nigeria, Syria and Vietnam uh, be put back on the CPC list, uh, or at least um, put on for the first time. And Nigeria is the big one because we have seen a degradation of religious freedom, of uh, an increase in the attacks on religious minority groups there. And so it was a really big surprise when the Biden administration took Nigeria off the CPC list. So that is one thing that they're hoping is going to help inform the International Religious Freedom Report. Um, in this situation, again, you're talking about a lot of different things. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs is a good organization to go to when you're dealing with religious freedom issues and the persecuted church. Um, when we talk to them about how do we like parse through what are the highlights that we want to be paying attention to from this year's uh, USCIRF report, um, there were a couple of things that uh, Todd Nettleton pointed out. And one was that uh, the big media it didn't cover it. So you're talking like New York Times or the Washington Post. And these are um, uh, organizations, media uh, uh, focuses that um, really watch what's happening in Washington, D.C. And for them not to cover it at all means that religious freedom isn't even on the radar. So that's kind of important because it, it's going to also be a reflection of how the other big media uh, will look at international religious freedom. 
The second thing is that uh, the ASWJ, um, the Alusuna Wajama, wasn't listed as an entity of particular concern. Um, so entities of particular concern are the terrorist organizations and the terrorist groups that uh, we want to keep an eye on uh, and potentially, you know, um, inform the IRF on uh, how to, to maybe sanction some of the, the people that are at the heart of the worst of the terrorism. In this situation, ASWJ is in northern Mozambique. We've seen a lot of activity uh, that has been very disconcerting in northern Mozambique because it's it's beginning to create problems of an internal insurgency in that country. Uh, and they weren't even mentioned on the entities of particular concern. So that was kind of a surprise that they didn't even make the radar sc screen of the uh, U.S. Commission. And then um, Nigeria's placement, again, you know, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about why Nigeria um, is still a concern. And, you know, this is the situation where um, the Biden administration, Biden administration has removed Nigeria from the CPC and special watch list. And there are a lot of people that disagree with that action because of what is happening in Nigeria. So those are some of the highlights that Voice of the Martyrs has been paying attention to. I would say it would be good for folks to just kind of read through several of the uh, articles, read through the report itself so you get really informed about what's happening. I will say it's long. But you'll have a really good picture of what um, the bipartisan committees are uh, paying attention to in religious freedom and then understand how the State Department may respond in turn. Mm. All right. We're talking about the 2020 USCIRF reports, um, and that is uh, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom and we pay attention to it, not only because it affects our foreign policy, but it gives us an opportunity to recognize the places around the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ are under particular threat um, and the uh, the circumstances under which they are living in terms of governments that do not support their basic uh, religious freedom. And so the State Department is interested because religious freedom and people's ability to uh, freely convert and freely worship um, affects so many things, as Ruth has pointed out, governance, human rights, issues of life, justice, women and girls, health, education, equity, access, violence, extremism, uh, and basic freedoms. And so uh, we want to continue the conversation. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on specifically in Nigeria. I'm looking here um, on Mission Network News at an article, Nigeria Home to Most Isl Islamic State Violence in the World. Ruth, is that possible? I, I think it is. Um, what you have in in Nigeria is a, a battle for control. Um, you have uh, uh, Boko Haram. You have the Fulani herdsmen. You have the Islamic State in West Africa province, all fighting for control of territory and of people and of resources. And Nigeria seems to be the place where uh, you're going to see that come to a head. Um, in this situation, it is, you, you have multiple groups claiming credit for multiple attacks. And um, when you have three different uh, extremist organizations with similar ideologies fighting for dominance, you're going to have people that are caught in the crossfire. And the people caught in the crossfire are the civilians and those that belong to the religious minority, which in this case are the Christians. Uh, you know, Nigeria led the world in Christians killed for their faith last year. Um, over 4,000, almost 5,000, you know, like 4,600 um, were killed last year for their faith. 
and that's according to Open Doors. Um, they're listed as number seven in the top 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. Um, you, we, we've seen multiple attacks and mass kidnappings within, within even the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, bombings and, and the violence is going further and further inland as opposed to where it was just kind of contained earlier to the northern states. It's now going further to the east and going further to the south. So their whole idea is trying to create a caliphate out of the country of Nigeria. And from there, you can see how it would be easily influencing neighboring countries because there is also um, uh, an Islamic extremist ideology that is popular among some of its neighboring states and uh, neighboring countries, I should say. Uh, and, and so you're, you're going to be seeing something that it would be very easy to start the movement toward a caliphate once someone finally gets control in Nigeria. And then you have to, have to ask the question, what is the government doing to try to stop this? And the government seems to be very strapped in its response, um, much to the criticism of a lot of the persecution watchdog groups and um, to other NGOs that are watching the situation, the government's response has been largely ineffective because it hasn't done anything to stop any of the attacks that are coming from ISWAP or Boko Haram or the Fulani herdsmen. And there's very little done that make uh, the target groups feel like they are being protected at all. Um, so when we talk to uh, the partners that are on the ground, when we talk to anybody who's working in Nigeria and we say, how can we be praying for you? Um, they, they ask a couple of things. They say, pray for us that we don't lose heart, that we don't lose our courage in the Lord, um, that our faith remains strong. Pray that there will be some solutions to what's going on here uh, and ask God to change the hearts of the terrorists because that's that's where you're going to ultimately see things shift is when God gets hold of the hearts of people um, that right now their hearts are full of murder and hate and uh, anything else but but who God is. Yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago um, that International Christian Concern raised the alarm that the United States um, has approved an arms sale worth nearly a billion dollars to Nigeria. Um, and we're talking about heavy weapons. Um, and and obviously we're concerned. Um, Nigeria is a strategic partner, but selling them weapons um, when they are not upholding um, the civil rights of their own people, nor defending the religious freedoms uh, of people in Nigeria, like it seems to me like a gross missed opportunity by the United States in terms of our um, foreign policy. If, you know, if a government wants to buy things from us, we ought to have some influence and some say um, and hold them accountable for for basic issues related to justice. So um, all kinds of things uh, to talk about. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We're going to pivot our attention when we come back from a very brief break to Lebanon. We haven't talked recently about what's going on in Lebanon, and the the stories there are important to keep up with and, frankly, quite harrowing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read what we're talking about today and lots of other articles at missionnews.org. Ruth, take us to Lebanon. What do we need to be focused on here? Well, you know, Lebanon's had its share of crisis. Um, they were already dealing with 
the disruption um, when you had the massive protests, you had uh, people who are angry over the mismanagement of foreign aid that was coming in. You had a lot of issues that came up as a result of the port explosion, and then you had COVID, uh, and everything went bananas in the country. It's it's the country is very very near to becoming a failed state at this at this juncture. Um, so it seems like it was good news when earlier in April, the International Monetary Fund actually reached an agreement with Lebanon for an economic reform plan, and that would give them $3 billion in funding over the, over the next few years if the government could actually uh, complete some austerity reforms. Um, and if you remember what was happening in Greece a number of years back, the austerity reforms sound like, you know, on paper that that's quite doable, but they're very painful because it is severely cutting back on budget. It's rerouting how money is handled. It's, um, it's really the people on the ground feel it severely because everything pinches and, and the, the folks who are the poorest of the poor feel it most. Um, so the economic reforms are agreed to in Lebanon and I guess theory it, but what's going to happen next and how they're implemented is, is really the big question. Um, the ministries that are there, the folks who are, you know, have, uh, uh, been born and raised in Lebanon are, I don't know, maybe jaded a little bit because, uh, they've seen this before. They've seen money come in. $11 billion of foreign aid came in in 2018, and it all disappeared. And none of it went where it was supposed to go. So, you know, when you have something like this happening, people get upset. And that led to the push for for political reform. And that's what we've been seeing kind of in flux since then as well. So now you have a May 15th election that's coming up. And at, you know, I guess kind of um, at the crossroads, how the new government, the new elected parliament, is going to be handling things to be able to fulfill the requirements of the IMF in order to get some much-needed cash infusion into the country. That's all said, um, when you look at just how tired the teams are um, mm -hmm. as they're coming into this, uh, and just one more thing that they're having to deal with, people are really worried about uh, what's going to happen on May 15th. Again, it's parliamentary elections, but what you have at, at stake here, aside from who is going to um, implement the, the economic reforms, is who's going to be in charge. And right now, the largest Sunni political bloc basically decided not to run in the elections. And the Christians don't have enough of a say to be able to counter the, the party that is in charge, which is the Sunni party. And the concern is that Lebanon is going to become a proxy state of Iran, um, and that will just change a whole bunch of other things because uh, what we've seen in happening in Iran, their concern could happen in Lebanon, and that's not too far off from, from the reality. So the ministries that are – you know, we talked with Triumphant Mercy Lebanon about the situation, and she says that the Christians don't want to vote because they don't think that their voice is going to matter because it won't change anything in parliament, and the power-sharing government has already proven that it's ineffective. So they're sort of feeling a little bit hopeless at this stage. Be praying for the – I want to say the outcome of what's going to happen mm -hmm. here – Pray for the ministry, the ministries that are working in Lebanon, that they will still be able to inject hope and um, into the conversation. You know, we don't want to get overly political about it, but it is tied to all of the politics and the overarching 
things that are happening in the country that's just one after another after another after another, and there's been no respite. I mean, they had after the Civil War a period of time where they kind of rebuilt, but this is just showing it was sort of a skin over the top of the really deep-seated problems, and there is no reset. So at this stage, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's in God's hands. Um, one thing I, I got a chance to talk to some of the Lebanese delegation when I was visiting them at the, at the conference in Greece, and um, they were reminding us that in 2018, they, you know, when they were having the early stages of the peaceful protests, they had a whole bunch of ministries that were out there in a prayer tent, and people were coming and asking for prayer. And they, what they were praying for is they were asking God to shake the nation. And to spark a revival. They didn't know it was going to look like this, but they do think this is how God is answering because people are coming to churches. They're walking in the doors of ministries that they never would have done before and saying, I don't understand what's happening. I can't deal with this anymore. How do I have the hope that you have? How do you get through what you're dealing with and look like you do? Your countenance, your countenance is lifted. What do you have that I don't have? These are gospel opportunities that would not have existed before. So we're praising the Lord for these opportunities, but we're also praying for the teams that are out there because they are tired. Um, ministries have been focusing a lot on the spiritual renewal for their teams in order to be able to mm -hmm. stay strong through the, these periods because it's been... I don't know, since before 2018, it's been since the beginning yeah, of the Syrian refugee crisis. Yeah. And they, you know, you only have so much energy physically. Yeah. So um, they've been focusing yeah, on that. We invite you to we're join approaching them. approaching like 10 years, approaching, yeah. approaching like 10 years of being engaged in this. Yeah. Um, just a reminder, if you're listening, um, you know, Lebanon is an interesting uh, democratic republic because they have this, uh, uh, this framework of confessionalism where the highest offices um, are proportionally reserved for representatives from certain religious groups. And that's actually what's at threat when one of those religious groups does not participate in one way or another in the process. And so if Christians don't vote, the proportionality of Christian representation um, in, in the government is going to be limited. And if the Sunnis don't participate in bloc, um, then they won't, and that will leave all the positions to Shia Muslims, and that's the, that's what we're looking out here, and that's the that would be the death of uh, this form of Lebanese democracy. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely this is a, a critical critical time to be praying for the people of Lebanon and their and their system of government. Ruth, thank you so very much. Um, always great to catch up with you. Hey, if you guys are looking for really great resources about what's going on around the world and how Christians are engaged. In, in really every place under the sun, missionnews.org. Um, check out the article there right now about Russian aggression increasing ahead of May the 9th. That's an important um, thing to be paying attention to on the Ukrainian front. Ruth, as always, thank you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. If you live in the Twin Cities, do you know somebody named Tracy who's kind of passionate about tennis? Yeah. Her name's Tracy Peck. And um, a couple of weeks ago, she was just running errands on Saturday, and she started her phone started blowing up with a series of text messages. Um, and one of them was from her tennis coach, 
And then another one from her best friend. And each one of them was saying, have you seen this CNN story? Have you seen this CNN story? And they were saying that has to be you. They're looking for you. They just don't know it. And so she pulled over and opened the link. And sure enough, CNN was uh, had posted a picture of a letter uh, in, you know, personal handwriting. And it's uh, signed at the very end just with the first name Tracy. That image of that handwritten note, she clearly recognized her own handwriting and her own name. Um, And it took her back some 23 years when she remembered sitting next to two young girls who were fleeing from the former Yugoslavia. um, And she was seated next to them on a transatlantic flight. She was returning from a trip with a friend to watch the French Open. She had her tennis racket with her. That was basically what the girls remembered about her from um, from being together on that flight. They remembered that, you know, obviously her name was Tracy. They had this handwritten note on an envelope um, and that she was an American and that, you know, she had a tennis racket. So what she did when she got off that flight was just wrote this really simple little note of encouragement to them. They were refugees fleeing to Slavia, coming to America to start a new life. And she put a $100 bill inside the envelope. And those girls talk about the testimony of how that changed their lives. Um, she never imagined that that one act of just kindness, where the Lord led her into a divine appointment to recognize the need of someone else and just to bless someone that she would never, never see or meet again. I mean, she had no way of knowing that 23 years later they would find a way to uh, to reach out and reconnect through social media and Um, and media, traditional media. But, you know, God is so good. So do something today that has the potential to change the life of another person. I mean, in this case, keep a divine appointment that God has set. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.